We're all dealing with this COVID era head on. The virus has left no stone unturned. Many have lost jobs, some have lost homes, and most importantly, many have lost loved ones. So what is this COVID normal and when does it end? No one knows for sure and we've certainly all had enough of it. Sandy Ray is a practicing psychologist and she'll hopefully help us shed some light on some of these emotions that we've all been experiencing. Welcome to another episode of Flynn's Talk. I am one half of the co-hosting duo, Jack Levitt, and joining me is my regular second-hand man. Second-hand man? Right-hand man? Left-hand man? Doesn't matter. He's there on Zoom. No, I like second-hand man. <laughs> second-hand man's great. Yes. Jeremy Gelman, welcome. Thank you very much. It's, it's a pleasure to be here for two weeks in a row. You let me back. I know. You're on a streak. Oh, I thought you were going to dump me for Cam. If this was Words with Friends, you'd be starting to get bonus tiles by now, mate. This is great. <laughs> It is always great to be back. We're halfway through um, the second season, which is exciting. It is flying along. Yeah, the conversations are continuing. And um, unfortunately, here in Victoria, uh, we're still still coping with um, most of the brunt of COVID. But it just means we're not we're not doing the walking bit. So we're, we're just continuing the talking while we can. Um, had lots of support, though, and, and still connecting with lots of people over social media and over LinkedIn. So um, keep that up. And, and we always enjoy hearing about um, your stories and, and how you've found um, Flynn's Walk and, and and even if you'd like to get involved and, and join the show, uh, we're open to that as well. But Jez, exciting um, guest today, our first repeat guest for Flynn's Talk. Yeah, exactly. We did, we so our guest is Sandy Ray, who you'll remember from episode two of the first season of the podcast. Um and yeah, we're we're having her back for another chat, one on one on two. Before it was her and Catherine Newton from Are You Okay? Um, but we thought we'd bring Sandy back for a for a personal episode. American doubles, two v one. Yeah, exactly. Yep, uh, it'll be great. And uh, Sandy's been very actively talking in the media, lots of columns, lots of TV appearances. Um, of course, she's on the Today Show on Channel Nine quite regularly. Um, but uh, it's great to be able to give her. The chance to sort of, um, I suppose, Jez, like provide a bit of context for the ways we might be feeling and the kinds of things we might be thinking with limited freedoms and way, new ways of working and I guess this new normal as well, which gets talked about a hell of a lot and, and is, well, a lot of people are getting a bit agitated and a bit impatient about it. But um, Sandy, Sandy hopefully will be able to give us some advice on how to, to get around that or just embrace it being how it is and and. and how to cope and, and get through. And it's also nice. We do we do focus on veterinary professionals and we like to hear from them, but it's also good to sort of take a little break away from that and focus on the general mental health of the of the population and and how we can how we can get around that. Yeah, exactly right. And and there should hopefully also be things that our vet community can take away from what Sandy talks about and and likewise when we talk to people within the field, there are things that translate out as well. Uh, will we get into it? No time like the present. Well, this is exciting because, Jez, we've got our first repeat guest for Flynn's Talk and Sandy Ray's joining us over the Zoom universe. Sandy, how are you? <laughs> Fantastic. How are you both going? Very well. Thank you. Good. Good here. Life's busy. I'll tell you something that... um. When I first reached out to you, I thought, you know, it's it's time for us to catch up again. It's been a couple of months um, and it feels like a lifetime has gone by. And we're really 
getting used to this new normal, whatever the heck that means. And, and I think a few people are getting a bit sick of hearing about it, but it is actually starting to settle in and feel real and like a bit of a new normal. But what, what, what is that? And, and how do we face that, Sandy, going forward? Because it's, it's, life's different now. Look, life is different, isn't it? I think that we've all experienced such a range of emotions. You know, I think when the first lockdown, um, people were going, what's going on? That's not real. It's not happening. There's a bit of denial. Um, what I actually identified was a lot of people were, were crying a lot in that first round. And I'm going, what's going on there? So I was trying to refigure what was going on in people's head, that why, why are they crying? And, of course, the obvious thing is, you know, loss of income, loss of identity through work, meaningful co uh, connections, a sense of isolation. And as time has gone on and we're now down to lockdown four, I think it's re we're almost getting a different round of feelings. Um, I think there's an, a, a level of agitation that's happening that wasn't happening earlier on. Now we're seeing you know, protests and of, of mask wearing and a lot more conspiratorial theories. And I think that, you know, there's a general unrest, which I don't think was quite so evident in, in the earlier months. And I think what's also evident now is that people are now, you know, in this new normal, are for the first time really understanding some of the vulnerabilities of their own mental health that uh, otherwise they may not have experienced. So, for many people, I think this is a sort of a, not a shock, but it's sort of, wow, I, I've never had, you know, very labile moods. So moods that are going up and down and they're feeling agitated and they're not sleeping so well and they're not working as well as they used to. And how do we get that structure back in our life? I'm feeling disconnected. I don't have my water cooler moments at work. So I think all these, so this new normal, well, this is happening, but how do I reconcile it? How do I how do I live with this feeling, these feelings and these mental health issues that are sort of sitting inside me? Yeah, and it was interesting the other day I read um, there was an article about the the sort of numbers of people people having consultations that these Medicare funded mental health plan consultations and the fact that um, I think it was 1.3 million of the three million consultations for a three month period through April, May, and June are all on telehealth. And I was just wondering, sort of from your perspective, if I'm guessing you're doing a lot of telehealth at the moment, and if you've seen what sort of impact that's having on, if people are accepting that, if people are getting used to it, or if or if it's not going so well. Well, I, it's, a, it's a good question. And, and telehealth is available, of course, as you rightly said. I prefer to see people face-to-face, -face, and I have done a number of telehealth consultations, but I prefer face-to-face, -face, and I'm allowed to because as, a, as an essential uh, work provider, um, you miss so much out on telehealth. <laughs> There's so many you know, nuances that go on in a clinical setting that you just miss out on on telehealth. But, you know, telehealth is wonderful because it actually gives people the opportunity to at least connect with a mental health professional. And whilst you may, may not be as complete a package as seeing each other one-on-one -on -one in the flesh, it still is a fantastic reconciliation of some of the issues. And I think, you know, if I have to say, one really sort of common issue. So talking about earlier on, we're talking about, you know, people crying and using the word anxious a lot. But in fact, what a lot of people were experiencing and still experience is a thing called, and it's not really talked about that much, is a phenomenon called reactive depression. 
So reactive depression, we all heard of the word depression and sadness and grief and all those sorts of words. But there's a very special type of depression, which I think many, many more people are experiencing, who it's a bit of a shock to. And reactive depression is feeling, having the symptoms of depression, but specifically triggered by a particular incident. So you don't have long-term depression. Um, and it's, I, think, I think COVID has introduced reactive depression to many, many thousands of people. And for them, it's like, hang on, I don't have mental ill health issues. What's going on here? And so um, I'm, I'm sort of, if, you, if you can explain concepts to people, it's very calming and normalising. So what I've been doing is really sort of harnessing that sort of psychoeducation thing and saying, you know what, this is what we expect. We expect people to react in those depressive symptoms, that sense of hopelessness. I can't see how my future is going to look. I feel really sad today and I don't quite know why I'm feeling so sad. You know, that was sort of really early on. But as time has gone on, I think we've seen this shift from that reactive depression. For some people, it's become more depression. So we would suggest it's sort of transferred into sort of normal depression, what we would understand, understand everyday depression. And for others, I think it's turned into sort of agitation and anger. Uh, I, you know, I want to get on with my life. I don't know if some people are not adapting to what we call that new normal. Yeah, well, I, I had a chance to to hear from um, Hugh from the Resilience Project through work. Uh, he, he spoke to our staff body and again, over Zoom, I was able to sit, you know, um, and uh, in my my study here and tune into that. And he, he has a very uh, storytelling approach to um, gratitude and, and practicing empathy and mindfulness. But my point there is that this reactive depression potentially, is it coming from us focusing on all, all those things that have been taken from us? And that, I suppose, is that with our, our freedom to move, our freedom to see families, our freedom to go into places of work, all those kinds of things. Every one of those and more. And I think even more so was the unpredictability of COVID being thrown upon us, that we didn't anticipate this. Yeah, there's no planning for it, was there? Exactly. You know, and what are we? We're, we're generally, how we most people thrive is regularity, stability, predictability. That's how, you know, it's like children. Why do we have bed at seven o'clock and a regular routine? Because it helps people thrive and feel secure in, the, in their world. All of a sudden, COVID came along. Businesses have had to be shut down. I didn't have savings or I've just bought a business two weeks earlier. Um, people have, you know, perceptions of their self and their own skills. I'm a barista. I can't do anything else. That's what I'm trained for. So all of a sudden, we've got this unexpected life-changing events that have been thrust upon us without time for contemplation. COVID didn't say, I'm going to give you a few weeks warning here, fellas, and then we're going to come knocking on the Australian door. You know, and so people are quite, quite shocked by the vulnerability of their reaction and what's changed in their world. You know, it impacts on family conflicts. It's impacted on domestic violence, impacted on intimate relationships. I think um, where I read somewhere that uh, the search for one-bedroom apartments has increased something like 800%. <laughs> so, you know, what we're seeing, you know, this is another shock. I was going to live with my partner really well. Everything was going well. Now I don't have income. Now my, my self-esteem's gone down the toilet. Now I don't know how to pay the rent. And so all this inner conflict is, is being displayed in relationships as well. Something uh, you touched on there was the thing that, yeah, people have had the rug pulled out from under them 
in life in many different ways. But one of the things is that how much of our identity is actually made up by what we do. You know, I'm a barista, as you said, and that's the thing that I do and I'm passionate about and I love seeing the regular customers. You've pulled that rug out from under me. I've lost an enormous chunk of my identity. We, we know people have this amazing ability to adapt and we've had to adapt during this time, Sandy, but how can we, how do we fill that hole? It's a hole, right? Let's be honest, where something's been yoinked away. I had a stand down period where I was working from home, then a period of time where I wasn't working from home at all, I actually was stood down entirely. And I was like, what am I without going to the office? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a there's a and it's a good question because there's a wealth of literature written specifically about what work what work does to our self esteem, how it gives meaning to our lives, how it gives purpose to our lives. You know, you look at homeless people, you look at unemployed people, you look at the the, the you know it has a very real and alive impact on mental health when and especially when you haven't planned for it. So you know, Scott Morrison introduced the term or use the term, shall I say, didn't introduce it, but about emotional agility. And I think, you know, it's a complex issue that you're talking about. How do we regain that? Well, there's so many things that are interplaying here. There's pre-existing mental health issues for a start. You know, work, you know, when people may have got up at 7 o'clock every morning, gone to the gym, gone to work, mixed with people and could manage when they go home because that's the, and then the next day they have that order in their lives. And so they've been able to mask their mental health. So I think COVID now for many people has given the green light for mental health issues. So where people have denied or haven't sought help or just sort of cover it up, I think there's that issue that they're now alive and, and very robust for some people. Um, there's that notion of a mental emotional agility. You know, how, you know, what does that look like? What does emotional agility mean? What well, means being flexible, adaptive, creative? And the opposite of that is having a rigid mindset. We equally know that people who have a rigid mindset have trouble pivoting. So, you know, we have personality types coming into the mix. So, you know, introverts and extroverts are going to manage differently. Perfectionists and, and ambiverts, you know, some people, most people would have heard of introvert and extrovert. The crossover quality is an ambivert. You know, so there's, you know, how do we manage this? Well, you know, it really is on a case by case issue because there's so many complexities. You know, there's relationship issues that are also interplaying. So, um, you know, I think emotional agility is really one of the sort of foremost characteristics that will get people through uh, COVID. I think as well, you mentioned a bit there about, about like not being able to go to the gym, not being able to do your normal routine. And for that, a lot of people that's their sort of coping mechanism for how they get through the day, how they get through the week. And they just don't have, they're just not able to do that anymore. Everything's closed. We're not allowed to see our family. We're not allowed to see our friends. And we just don't have those mechanisms that may have worked before that now we're sort of searching, grasping for something new that will work for us. Look, that's right. You know, and, and how, there can't be a one size fits all. It's going to be a matter of mm, exactly. what, is, what is working. What you know, we do have very strict limitation limitations. Um, what can we do in that hour? What can we do in our apartment or our unit or our house? How can we continue mixing with other people? What social media do we have access to? You know, people who were suffering from severe loneliness before, and we know loneliness is a huge mental health trigger. Um, you know, can only imagine how and, and they're the get out may have just been the gym, for instance, as you rightly said. You know, how do they manage now that all that connectedness has stopped? So 
they're some of the really confronting issues that I'm not sure how the government can actually alleviate at this point because we've got so many restrictions in place that it takes you know, a very strong mental courage, I think, for want of a better word, to see, well, what can I do to make my life more manageable given the restrictions? The go-to pillars of mental health are good sleep, good exercise and, and good, good food. But of course, that's a luxury. That's a luxury for many yeah, people, yeah, exactly. you know. And I, you know, I recognise that. And of course, you know, when we are feeling troubled or we're feeling discontent with things, one way we ameliorate that those unhappy feelings is through substance use. It's through excess alcohol. It's excessive gambling or other risky behaviour. So, you know, for some people, that's how they're choosing to get through. Yeah. And to some to some degree, that's that's easier to hide at the moment because you're not seeing people, you're not really leaving the house that much. It's a lot easier to 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 take to those substances or to do those things that really aren't aren't going to help you in any way. And of course, you know, by by taking those substances, it's the antithesis then of the good, you know, it impacts on your sleep patterns, yeah, <laughs> it yeah, impacts on food, exactly. it impacts on exercise, everything comes topsy-turvy. So I guess, you know, it, it, you know, you have to make decisions about how well you want to be. And I know that's easier said than done, uh, but you know, certainly when you're in a mental ill health space, it is very difficult to make logical decisions about how to better look after yourself. So I, I'm not sure what the magic pill answer is, uh, but I think one magic pill is actually having insight about your own coping mechanisms, how you self-regulate your behaviour, what you do have control of compared to what you don't have control of. That's a, that's a good point because it is we, we spend a lot of energy, Sandy, on the things we can't control, but that's kind of the obsessive focused <laughs> nature of us as people. We want to know things in front of us. I want to plan. I want to put building blocks down. I want to know the stepping stones. But we just have to stop wasting energy on the stuff we can't control. And no matter how many times you hear that, you still go, oh, yeah, but that's not me. That's everyone else. You know, and and I th- and also there's this really interesting thing. We have to have a tolerance. We have to increase our tolerance for distress. And that, again, easier said than done. Yeah. We're so quick to rush into, oh, I've got to get pills. I've got to get medicated. I've got to, I'm feeling unhappy. And, you know, I really learned this. It was a bit of a, an eye-opener. I, I don't know if I've ever told you, I used to work in Barwon Prison, the maximum security men's prison. And when they're all off the drugs, a lot of them have real distress at the moods, of course. And they can't recognise them because they've often self-medicated for so long that they've got this sort of flat line of moods and it's as though they can't sit with distress. And I think this is this whole COVID period is a really interesting phenomenon that you could even look at yourself. How well do I tolerate distress? How do I sit with distress or stress in my life? And I think it's a really, you know, we don't have to be perennially happy. It's okay to have days that you're down. That's okay. You know, the idea of, of 100% living a high life mentally is actually not right. You know, we find moments of happiness and, and hours of happiness, but we don't have 24-7 happiness. That's illogical. So I think this is also another challenge within this COVID period is saying, gee, let me reflect on how well I actually manage or tolerate distress. 
And also I think being able to, being able to sort of feel your feelings and like that old school, that old school notion of you have to always be happy, always pull up your bootstraps and you can never, you can never show any pain or any, any vulnerability. But the fact is that we're all, we're all human. We all feel that way and, and we're allowed to feel that way. And knowing, knowing how to cope and how to understand what's going on when you don't feel great is, is one of those coping mechanisms that I feel like a lot of people need to learn how to do. Absolutely endorse that. I just think, and for some reason, I think a lot of people are actually afraid of feeling those feelings. You know, I can absolutely tell you there are days when I just go, I don't want to speak or hear or talk to anyone. Everyone, pee off and leave me alone, you know? (laughs) I don't answer emails, I don't go on social, and I just, and I recognise that in myself. I just want everyone to absolutely bugger off and leave me alone, you know? Because whatever, I don't know why I'm woken up like that. That's what happens sometimes. But it's okay because that's how I'm woken up, you know. And I think that, you know, we have to learn that distress or to, or to tolerate that and go, you know what, okay, I get that's what's in me. I don't know why but I feel like shit today. But, you know, there it is. What can I do with it? And then just being open about that. And I think we're getting better at, you know, as people with doing that and with workplaces supporting, you know, mental health breaks or time out you know or we've done a thing at work where if you're just kind of starting to feel a bit fed up with the amount of zoom meetings and this and that and the other and working remotely and you know working from your coffee table because you can't go to the office having these kind of like even just on a practical level block out parts of your calendar like give yourself guardrails right and that's some of the practical stuff we can do to make sure we are alleviating that stress when it becomes too much rather than just wading through the mud. Look, I reckon that's a great, you just gave me a great uh, visual analogy there, the guardrails. I'm just sort of imagining, you know, you're clawing onto those guardrails and walking your way through things. You know, it's absolutely right. And it's, you know, you've, you've all heard of absenteeism. Mm, you've both heard of absenteeism. Yep. Have you heard of presenteeism? No. Who tell? Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I shall. <laughs> Probably that I'm on a bit of a roll, aren't I? Sorry, no, please. Sorry guys. I love it. <laughs> so, so presenteeism, so absenteeism, we know you take a sickie and blah, blah, blah. So presenteeism is in line with that mental health that you're just talking about, the guardrails, and I love that analogy. Um, means that you sit on your ass at work and actually don't do much. So there's two prongs to it. One is sitting on your ass and saying, I've got to be at work at seven o'clock, but uh, you know, because I have this wrong perception that people need me, or I need to be seen, the boss is making me accountable, but you actually are very unproductive. Equally, the other prong is that when you're ill, uh, say physically, you've got the flu or whatever, you still come to work because you have this overarching sense, an obligation to come to work rather than look after yourself. Um, so presenteeism is intimately linked up with mental health, that people will be just labouring on rather than saying, you know what, I, today is not a day that I should be at work. And the recognition that the workplace needs to say someone, you know, X needs some time off. And also for my own well-being, I need time off. That That is, I mean, there's another discussion point there as well. And it's around the fact that you slug through and you front up and you do go in when you're not feeling up to it. And it might be in a mental space that you're not feeling up for it or you're just feeling burnt out, exhausted, whatever it might be. But you don't want to burn a day's leave. You want to save it because you want to go to Thailand next May when we can. Who knows? Probably not. I've got credit for a trip to Vietnam sitting there. Who knows? That'll probably expire. But my point there is is that, yeah, in the the short-term view, we're protective of this uh, asset of leave 
However, actually using it when you feel you need to could be the best thing for you at the time. And, you know, it's a recognition and a validation of mental health as well. You know, there's, you know, this idea that physical health is front and foremost, I think is really becoming really contested now. You know, it's actually, if I was going to say, it's mental health that drives the bus. It's mental health that's front and centre. Um, you know, I think I was on Channel 9, oh, I don't know, months ago on the 9 News, and I said something like, COVID's going to, you know, there's going to be a wave of mental health issues as a result of COVID. Well, Twitter, you know, quite a few people on Twitter said, oh, how dare you talk about mental health and scare us? And I'm going, really? Are you serious? That, you know, that you're frightened of mental health or that you're worried? And, of course, what has become front and centre, of course, is mental health. Or, you know, it, it, it stands to reason that that's what's going to be a consequence. But, you know, this presenteeism, the, you know, and I know, you know, so many young interns and so many young vets, for instance, you know, they'll be working 12 or 13 hour shifts and dealing with grief and loss and distressed clients and, you know, you know, animals that are in huge distress as well as the owners. And then they have to front up again at seven o'clock in the morning. You know, and they're on this cycle rather than acknowledging they actually need time off from work. And I think that's I think that has been one of the sort of small positives, which hopefully will be a big positive out of this whole thing. The fact that people are realizing that people need to take time off. People if you're unwell that you really shouldn't be coming into work. And I think there is that cultural shift starting to happen in workplaces where the the employers are realizing that it's actually in their benefit to let people have more time off, to let people take a half day if they need to, or take a couple of hours, have a long lunch and just recoup themselves, get themselves back into a proper frame of mind. Absolutely. And, you know, it's far more productive for the organisation to give a day off to recoup for mental health rather than absenteeism, you know, because they keep on taking sickies uh, and lost productivity, staff turnover, retraining staff. You know, and I think that, and I think I'm grateful for the one thing that COVID has introduced is I think it's really decreased the stigma attached to talking about mental health. Yeah, definitely. You know, I don't know how far, but it's certainly decreased it. You know, you go, it's okay, I feel like crap today. Okay, yep, everyone's able to have these conversations now. Yeah, well, it's certainly front and centre in people's minds, and and to a certain degree, everyone's feeling feeling some form of that. So it's sort of like a, a collective consciousness that we're all that we're all experiencing. Which is fantastic. I mean I don't I, I don't wish it on anyone, but you know, we're no, all feeling course. vulnerable in some way. And you know, yeah. it's a great, it's a great uh, what's the word, as you say, collective consciousness that we can actually now talk about it. Exactly right. It, ha it has really put us all back to sort of level playing field in in some ways and 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 not in others. But uh, yeah, where we kind of have to do it all together and it's kind of become a big cliche throughout all this but pulling in the same direction and in it together and all that but and one of those things is us all just acknowledging that we've got to have our headspace right to to push on speaking of pushing on uh sandy people have learned to make sourdough bread macrame jigsaw puzzle records reading a thousand books all these kinds of things i'm, I'm making light heart of it but people are learning new skills that they're growing in ways during this pandemic, but I'm really interested for you to comment on this theme that you mentioned last time we chatted around this post-traumatic growth uh, theme and what that means and what we can be doing day by day to, you know, make some better in the world or grow ourselves going forward. I have not developed any macrame skills. Let me just tell you right front and centre. <laughs> no, I don't think I've been macrameing either. 
We can forget macrame. We can forget crochet. We can forget painting and life drawing. We can forget uh, gardening. <laughs> None of that's really been in my forte. Um, sorry to say, you know, I, I have been looking at all those posts of bread making mm. going, yep, good, good for them. Go you. Yep, exactly. uh, it hasn't translated to this little household yet. Um, <laughs> post, yeah, we've all heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. So, you know, if he's witnessed to a violent accident, a bi act of violence or been in a car crash or, you know, uh, men and women who've been at war. And the, the worst part of PTSD is what we call complex PTSD. So that's repeat acts of violence or witnessing violence or long-term child abuse. And, you know, they're very deep ramifications of, of people who suffer from PTSD. What some fairly new research is talking about, okay, you've had this trauma. We, we know that the, the repercussions of that trauma in terms of uh, depression, anxiety, feeling numb, feeling disconnected, um, and indeed suicide. I think there's one member from the armed forces every week in Australia that takes their life as a result of PTSD. Um, but a new area of research has said as a result of that trauma, there's a new uh, way of interpreting it and, and seeing strength and discovering something about yourself that you otherwise may not have had the opportunity to had you not experienced that trauma. Does that make sense? Yep. So you're learning, you go, God, I didn't know I could be that courageous. I didn't know I had that capacity to take up this line of work. I didn't know. So it's, it's about what have you learned and what can you enact as a result of having the trauma, sitting with the trauma, dealing with the trauma. It's not saying that we're minimising or not validating the trauma but it's about a personal growth as a result of experiencing the trauma. And as we know, COVID is going to present trauma for so many people. We know that. And so the notion of post-traumatic growth is very, is very much a, a real one for, some, for, for many people. And I guess where would a typical example of that would be, how do I pivot my business? You know, that's an example on, on a less drastic scale of pivoting and post-traumatic growth, but that's an example of what I'm what I'm getting at. What did I learn about myself? Well, I learned that I could actually be a bit more creative than I ever thought I could be. I learned that I could tolerate that distress of COVID, and this is what's grown out of. I've learned that I can manage conflict a little bit better than I ever thought I would be able to. So it's a really, it's called a strength-based outcome or strength and used in strength-based therapy. And it's really a very optimistic way of saying, okay, you've been to hell and back. How can we get your life back in order that, that you've got something and you've experienced something? What can we do with this trauma to make your life, I guess, more functional? It's going back to that well um, of optimism, which might be running pretty dry for a few people through this time, plenty of people, I'm sure, but there's always something in there and, you know, you can, you can, grab that and try and go with it and, and push on. As you say, like the pivoting of businesses is something very practical and right in front of people that, that will be getting dealt with. And, you know, again, the, the limits, of course, are mental health, you know, pre-existing mental health issues, support systems in place. You know, it's all very nice to talk about post-traumatic growth, but if you're 
homelessness, if you, you're suffering from homelessness and unemployment, well, the idea of PTG, post-traumatic growth, is sort of down the toilet. So there's many things that have to sit in place for people to experience PTG. Um, but it's nonetheless, it is an optimistic way of looking at trauma. I think even just simple things, simple things like realising something that, it, something that you can do day to day, realizing a positive thing that's happened that day, something that's that's good that you've done or that's happened to you, and something that you can sort of hold on to. That's not this just long string of negativity that some people have all day, every day, especially with everything going on at the moment. It's that easy to fall into a bit of a spiral, but having sort of one, two, three things that you can, at the end of the day, realize that's gone well for you or something positive, I think can also make a big difference. Absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, to that point, talking about mindfulness and mindfulness is here and now instead of, you know, catastrophizing, which, you know, many people experience and, and catastrophizing increases anxiety and anticipatory anxiety. What happens if I never get a job again? What happens if I, because even in this new normal, this new normal is still not going to be forever. You know, all we have to do is sit with what's going on around us now, but it's not going to be forever. Yeah, well said. And and that, I think, is what is keeping peop- a lot of people going. Um, and, and we are saying that it won't last forever, and we really, truly hope that it doesn't. And, and you know, all signs point to the fact that we'll, we'll get around the corner and, and, and there'll be light. <laughs> um, to- there will be light. Hallelujah, brother. There always is. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy, I think, uh, yeah, you, you, your 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 way of talking through these things and bringing some realistic and practical steps to it is um is awesome, and and we appreciate you dropping by again for a chat on the podcast, and and I know that it will not be the last time we chat. Great, it really has been wonderful. Fantastic, good to speak with you both. Great as always to chat to Sandy. Our well, our only Flynn's Talk regular now. Um, uh, there's, we're open to others being regulars as well, and, and we're happy to have repeat guests. Uh, uh, awesome to have Sandy and her bringing her perspective um, and being able to speak to our listeners. Exactly right. I mean, Lewis and Robbie keep trying to bash down the door to our little recording studio that we have, um, but I don't know if we're I don't know if we're ready yet for them. I think that's a bit of. Uh... Maybe a couple of weeks away. Yeah, look, no, they are always welcome, but um, keep them on the burner. We did, we did say they're always welcome, but uh, now they're hunting for passcodes and all sorts of things to get into Zoom meetings. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but no, always lovely to have uh, to have Sandy on, and uh, that was a really good that was a really good chat. Yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed hearing from her, and and one thing I've been thinking about for some time, um, and we we touched on it with Sandy was around that like taking a break a short break when you need it and don't hoard your leave necessarily and don't save for that future break because for the moment those longer breaks are are seemingly further away particularly with with, um, further travel and stuff like that but if you are feeling like you got to hit that pause button and it might just be a Friday take a long weekend or, or take that Wednesday off or a half Wednesday you know like give yourself that breather if you're feeling like you need it it should be encouraged and workplaces are getting better at encouraging people to do it. So Yeah, yeah, that's it. Hopefully the workplace culture is changing where it's not sort of frowned upon or stigmatised that people, whether they're not sick, whether they just need a bit of a breather or a bit of a mental health day, um, that they're able to take that. So hopefully things change for the better. Yeah, absolutely. 
And Jez, if there's um, anyone out there needing more than just a half day or a day off or, or need some extra help or support or, or some information online, there's there's lots of great stuff available that's very accessible. Exactly. So last week, as you all probably know, if you've listened to the podcast, was Are You OK Day? Um, please head over to Are You OK's website. They have so much information, pamphlets, guides on how you can reach out, but also how you can reach out to someone who you don't think is doing well, but also what to do if you don't think you're doing so well yourself. There's also Beyond Blue, there's Kids Helpline and Headspace if you're under 25. If you do think it's a crisis or if you do need urgent help, contact Lifeline 131114. There's a suicide callback service or else if it's an emergency, call triple zero. Nicely said, mate. And there's also that uh, hub of information for coronavirus on the Beyond Blue website. Um, and there's people on there it's actually quite a quite a forum of people chatting and responding and and just information and experiences, which is uh, it's been good to see that um, running throughout this time. Uh, we did really well, Jez, with the winter beanies, um, and now we've turned to spring here in Australia. And hello to those overseas who are listening, and including our Norwegian friends um, who bought some beanies, um, and they're going to be guests on the show, um, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but uh, we have got t-shirts now. As the weather gets warmer, I'm looking outside, Jez, it's quite sunny and getting a bit warm and um, jump on our website if you'd like to support our mission because uh, the t-shirts are there, which were designed by Dr. Cam, who's our uh, regular sub-in co-host extraordinaire. So um, I, I, would just, I would just keep it as regular co-host. I don't think I don't think you need Cam call Cam a sub in. He's kind of expert expert commentary in a way if he was Ooh, the boundary like writer that. maybe. Ooh. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, but he's part of the conversation. Like the boundary writer sort of jumps in and out at, at weird times. Cam's there and, and very present, so probably unfair to call him a boundary writer. Yeah, I reckon just Dr. Cam. Dr. Cam. Uh, but yeah, T-shirts are there, flinswalk.com.au. Send us a message from the Facebook page and we can we can sort you out as well. Um, but yeah, we just got a new batch in, so uh, they're ready to fly, fly off the shelves. Jez, thanks for the chat as always and uh, I'll talk to you again very soon. It's been lovely. I look forward to it. Bye.